Hey everybody, welcome to another lecture from my dining room chalkboard. It is day 48 on the quarantine count-up. Hope everybody's doing all right. Uh, and that now that we're sailing through the quarter, this is the end of week five, that you're uh, feeling like you have your legs on all of what's going on. I just want to remind people that there is still a course feedback text thread, or excuse me, not text thread, but discussion forum. Uh, available on the DTL site in case you want to put in anything that you think uh, is problematic for you. Uh, you can even put in positive feedback so that I know what is going well and what's not going well. I'm definitely in the stride of doing this lecture to a phone kind of thing, but it is challenging to feel so alienated from students. Uh, and I spoke to one of my graduate students on the phone today to talk about his master's thesis, and I realized that it was actually, it was quite different. You know, it's different than email, it's different than uh, discussion forum connection to actually speak to a human being via voice. Not that I want to deluge your phone calls, but uh, just noting and, you know, if you're feeling disconnected and want to reach out to feel connected, we can give it a shot. Um, definitely, it, it did actually took three weeks for me to schedule this call with this graduate student, mostly because my communication ethic has just, just destroyed. Uh, Except for emails I get from students about stuff, which I definitely I try to respond to those within 24 hours. In fact, I think I pretty much have. Anyway, all that's about life, and what we're here to talk about is not life. We're here to talk about Rousseau's illiberal social contract. Uh, this is our first critic, and it's an interesting uh, figure. It Rousseau, he is an interesting figure in the history of liberalism because... The title of his book, The Social Contract, would easily make people think, well, he must be in the liberal tradition. Uh, and uh, his commitment to the value of liberty, that's, the word is strewn throughout the social contract, could easily make you think that he is a variant of a classic liberal, that he belongs in that liberal family of ideas. And you wouldn't necessarily be 100% wrong to include him in the liberal family of ideas, but in a way, he's kind of the black sheep of the family because he's not really a critic of liberalism uh, since the, really the, the critics, the sort of official critics, uh, didn't really develop, except for the classic conservatives, which we'll talk about next week, I think. Uh, the, you know, the, the real direct, we're taking aim at liberalism critics, didn't develop until later. And Rousseau, I think, probably because he was an Enlightenment writer and the uh, liberal idea, which the term wasn't invented yet, but the liberal idea that has uh, its roots with Locke was a major part of the intellectual climate in which Rousseau was writing. So he was, he was there. And the idea of the social contract, he talks about state of nature, he, talks, he uses the word liberty all the time, um, rights, he talks about property rights, uh, all of the stuff that would make him, in a way, a mainstream uh, variant on liberalism is there. But there, there is a pretty significant uh, difference between Rousseau's approach to the social contract and Locke's approach, and those who were influenced by Locke, like Rawls, and uh, the also the, uh, the terms of the social contract are, are different enough, and also the way in which liberty is discussed, and the way in which uh, the role of the individual in society and the relationship between the individual and society is notably different from the liberal family of ideas. One of the biggest things about the liberal family of ideas is that the individual is seen as the starting point and the central focus and the primary value. 
Rousseau starts with individuals. Uh, he, he, he has that same starting point. He participates in the, 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 the discourse of state of nature and social contract, um, but he doesn't end in the same place. And he ultimately reverses the relationship between the individual and society that uh, classic liberals and pretty much all liberals uh, seek to maintain. Society is a necessity, but it's also a threat. Uh, to Rousseau, society is not necessarily, it is a necessity, but it's also, uh, a, it, it's also uh, more than, it's not, it's, it's not a threat. It's, it's more than just a necessity, it actually elevates. So I'll get to that. Uh, I'm just, I'm actually probably getting ahead of myself here, but I just kind of want to note that Rousseau is in this weird position, this sort of weird middle ground. So if he's part of the liberal family of ideas, he's the black sheep of the family, or if he's outside the family, he's not specifically a critic so much as he takes that starting point of the individual and the individual's rights. And one of his most famous lines is, man is born free, right? Well, that's, that sounds like that's the first line of the social contract, in fact. Uh, it's, that sounds an awful lot like he's gonna be off and running as a liberal, uh, but it's the way that he takes that journey that makes him different. So he's not, I would say, technically a critic so much as an alternative version uh, that, that starts in the same place, uses some of the similar moves, and uh, then departs at a crucial juncture. Now, what I'm gonna do today is something I haven't done yet, but I'm gonna probably do more of it in this half of the course because we're really gonna be focused on specific writers, is I'm gonna take some of the quotes from the reading and I'm gonna read them and then I'm going to discuss them. And I have a whole board here and I may or may not use the board. I'm not really sure if the board is gonna be appropriate for this kind of, uh, this kind of discussion. Okay, uh, and the page numbers that I will reference are, going, are always gonna be page numbers in whatever file I uploaded for uh, the course on D2L. You may have a used copy of the social contract uh, that uh, has different paginations. Um, I'll also tell you what the section is. Um, so here, the very first quote I'm gonna read uh, is from section six, the social compact, which is on page six of the packet that you guys got from me. Um, Rousseau has arrived after a few pages of kind of you know, preliminary stuff, he's arrived at the moment of the social contract being formed. And here's what he says. He says, uh, the question is, find a form of association that will bring the whole common force to bear on defending and protecting each associate's persons and goods, doing this in such a way that each of them, while uniting himself with all, still obeys only himself and remains as free as before. Now, that is his formulation of the problem in the state of nature and gesturing towards, well, what's the social contract gonna look like? This, the social contract answers that difficulty. He calls it a difficulty. Um, and I'll read it again. Find a form of association that will bring the whole common force to bear on defending and protecting each associate's person and goods. So far, that is a paraphrase of Locke, for sure. Doing this in such a way that each of them, while uniting himself with all, still obeys only himself and remains as free as before. Now, there are two important differences in that second half of the formulation, uh, from Locke's formulation, that indicate already that Rousseau is going in a different direction and that he's going to come to different conclusions. One of them is, Doing this in such a way that each of them, while uniting himself with all, uniting, that's a different concept of what's going on with the social contract 
than what uh, Locke is going to lay out. Locke is laying out the idea that how do we turn over as little of our rights as possible in order to make sure that we secure our rights rationally and effectively. Uh, and so Rousseau starts off by how do we you know, uh, defend and protect each associate's person and goods. That sounds an awful lot like that's what, he, what he's doing. But instead of saying, well, how do we give up as little as possible, maintaining most of our individual sovereignty while turning over some of it to an association that uh, will protect, uh, that will define the uh, boundaries of our rights and that will protect uh, us from violations of that and will punish people who, who violate. Uh, he's saying we're going to be uniting with all. Very, could be subtle, but it's, it's extremely important difference. For Locke, there's an exchange happening here. The social contract is like any other contract. It's an exchange. You give up a little bit and get more. And in fact, the idea of any free exchange is that it's a win-win, right? It's, I give up something to you and you give up something to me, and we do so because we each see a mutual benefit in doing so. Uh, so the idea is, and this is where our instrumental rationality kicks in, and instrumental rationality is, has been uh, a through line uh, through all of the liberals, um, it will diminish in importance as we move through all of the critics, but the idea is that it's instrumentally rational to seek out these kinds of exchanges. And Locke brings that instrumental rationality to the social contract. It's sensible to turn over as little as possible to get a big benefit. And the inconveniences, the problems, the obstacles that individuals face in pursuing their own conception of the good in the state of nature can be largely surmounted by giving up just a little bit. Rousseau is not for this sort of half measures, and he's not looking for an instrumentally rational social contract. He's looking for a way that people can leave the state of nature and enter a new type of state that is not just the state of nature with rules. And in fact, that's a way we could put Locke's version. The, the, the civil government is the state of nature with rules. And the reason why it's the state of nature is that people are still going to be in conflict with each other. It resembles the state of nature because what people are doing is pursuing their own conception of the good, using their instrumental rationality, using their expressive rationality to figure out what their conception of the good is, and they're going to run into conflicts, and those conflicts are sometimes going to uh, create harms, they're sometimes going to create uh, um, controversies where both people think that they're in the right, and the, the, essentially the civil government is a set of rules and an enforcer and a mechanism, a process for uh, a fair and uh, even administration of uh, justice. It's the state of nature's type of conflict between individuals. It's the same way that individuals are living their lives in the state of nature, it's just that now they have a protection. Rousseau isn't looking to maintain what's good about the state of nature from the point of view of individuals and just try to file off those problematic edges. Rousseau is making a transition into a different kind of world. Uh, and when you are uniting with everyone else, then you are entering a different kind of world. You are, in fact, completely leaving the state of nature behind and entering uh, what uh, he refers to as civil society, and that's not so different from civil government, but essentially the nature of society is, excuse me, the nature of our environment is changing because what's happening actually is instead of just creating an association, which is what Locke is recommending, and even in a, in, to a certain extent, even though with a bigger portfolio, that's what Rawls is recommending as well, um, you're, what you're doing is you're creating a new entity, this unity of all. 
The second difference is probably even more uh, significant, but it also follows uh, on the uniting difference. He says, uh, and each still obeys only himself and remains as free as before. That's pretty significant because Locke isn't saying that. Locke's not saying that we will be uh, as free as we were before. We are less free, but we actually have the capacity to enjoy our freedom entirely, enjoy our, the exercise of our rights because now they're protected. We uh, now obey others instead of just ourselves. Now we have a voice in who those others are as a check on, uh, on, on the, this new fears and power that's been created by uh, uh, generating this form of association, the civil government. But we're still obeying someone else. Rousseau is promising, or at least he's presenting the question that the social contract answers as a way bigger promise. How do you actually still obey only yourself and remain as free as before? That's the basic problem that is solved by the social contract. Now here's what Rousseau says right after that. The clauses of this contract are so settled by the nature of the act that the slightest change would make them null and void, so that although they may never have been explicitly stated, they are everywhere the same and everywhere tacitly accepted and recognized. This is another similarity between uh, Rousseau and both Locke and Rawls, the universality of the implied contract. The contract, there's one version, there's one way to answer this difficulty. Just like for both Rawls and Locke, there's one way to address the problem of, <clears throat> um, in the case of Locke, the state of nature, in the case of Rawls, uh, the original position, there's one form of abstract rationality, singular abstract rationality, that can be applied to this problematic, and we get an answer. Rousseau is accepting exactly the same presumption, and that's a very enlightenment presumption, and it is the pure normative standpoint that uh, uh, I talked about last time. So again, in this way, Rousseau is very much like liberals. Uh, though there are plenty of illiberals and critics of liberalism who, are, who will adopt a pure normative standpoint. It's just a different one. But Rousseau's pure normative standpoint, that there's a rational, singular answer in the question of the social contract, aligns him with the liberal style. But as, as I've indicated already, his, his, the way that he's framed the problem is slightly different. Now, the framing of the problem is almost everything. Right? Hobbes frames the problem of the state of nature in way more catastrophic, way more Mad Max terms than Locke does. And so his, even though he takes the same exact approach uh, and uh, really pretty much the same uh, statement of the problem as Locke, unlike Rousseau who states it a little differently, because Hobbes sees the initial situation as so different, he ends up with a drastically different answer from Locke, which is the absolute sovereign that rules over us. Um, that we're better off obeying an absolute sovereign than obeying ourselves, uh, and that, we're, that we trade this horrifying state of nature for you know, a situation where there's a lot of power exercised over us, that's what the absolute sovereign has, but that uh, even, even with that pretty tough situation for individuals, it's way better than the horrific state of nature. By downplaying or by reconceiving of the state of nature as merely inconvenient and problematic as opposed to sort of a horrifying war of all against all, uh, Locke softens up the situation and gets a different outcome. Rawls, when he frames the original position and inserts the veil of ignorance and then comes with his theory of uh, primary social goods, he's framing the problem very differently, but it still has the same move. Here we have individuals who are going to have an implicit contract and that we're going to seek and utilize a singular uh, abstract rationality to solve that problematic, and then that tells us what the correct form of government looks like. Rousseau is doing all that. 
Um, what he says on the following page, this is now on page seven, uh, is properly understood, these clauses, the ones that are implied uh, by the framing of the social contract problem, uh, these properly understood, these clauses come down to one, the total alienation of each associate together with all his rights to the whole community. That is very different from Locke. It's actually very similar to Hobbes, um, though what is happening with Hobbes is there's actually a transfer to someone else. Rousseau is, is not seeing a transfer from each to someone else that will protect them, seeking a protector, a kind of a father figure, the Leviathan that, that has all the power but then uh, does all the caring and protecting. Um, he goes on to say, this may seem drastic. <laughs> yeah, no shit. It, does. it definitely seems drastic. But three features make it reasonable. One, because each individual gives himself entirely, what is happening here for any one individual is the same as what is happening for each of the others. And that is quite different from Hobbes, where uh, everyone's giving to someone else, to someone specific, and the sovereign gives up nothing. The sovereign gets without giving. Here, everyone is alienating the same thing. They're all giving away the same whole package of all of their rights. Um, so in his view, that means that you're not really giving up anything because you're getting, it's still an exchange. And um, while it's a very different kind of exchange than Locke imagines, because his exchange is as minimal as possible, like give up as little as you can to get the benefits of this common association, Rousseau is saying, you have to give it up, give all of it. Um, because, uh, number two, because the alienation is made without reserve, without anything held back, the union is complete, is as complete as it can be, and no associate has anything more to demand. I'm not sure why that is supposed to be so comforting, um, but it, what it means is that like, there's, no, there's no further to go, right? But why not less far? Why not, let, why not say, well, how about instead of alienating everything, why don't we just give up a little bit and preserve a lot for ourselves? He doesn't address that explicitly, though I think that as we move on, we'll see that, that he, does, he does address that ex, uh, implicitly by indicating that that half measure that Locke recommends is really sowing the seeds for a continuation of the state of nature and that essentially as soon as there's a conflict, it's going to unravel things and it's going to be some kind of war and the government will be the tool of some and it will be the, it will be the enemy of, of, of others. Number three, each man in giving himself to everyone gives himself to no one. The right over himself that the others get is matched by the right that he gets over each of them. And that's in a way, that's kind of just a restatement of number one. I find that whole argument to be a little bit repetitive, but I wanted to show you how that's how he breaks it down. Rousseau doesn't see any way to secure our persons and goods that is short of this complete giving up. And then he says it's just, it's not bad because it's a symmetric uh, surrender. Everyone is doing the same thing. And uh, that means that it's not a win-lose, it's not a potentially problematic exchange for some people and for, than, than for others, because everyone's in the same boat. Most importantly, what's happening is that there's a transformation of the environment in which individuals live. And you can't say that there's now an individualist focus anymore because the total alienation, I'll read it again. Probably understood these clauses come down to one. The total alienation of each, each associate together with all his rights to the whole community. The individual 
is essentially obliterating its own individuality by surrendering everything to the community. So Rousseau does not believe that there's a half measure that's available. And this is exactly what makes it illiberal. Really, it's the first thing that makes it illiberal. Um, he has this notion that the community is the only thing that rescues us from the downward spiral of life in the state of nature. I didn't give you to read his Discourse on the Origin of Inequality, but if you're interested in Rousseau, you might want to read, and it's available free on the internet, uh, the Discourse on the Origin of Inequality. And in that discourse, he, he, he talks about the state of nature. It's basically, it's, it's, it's kind of like the miniseries version of the state of nature. It, for Locke, the state of nature exists, he describes it, and then we get out of it, and it, and, and it doesn't change, except now there's an association to protect our rights. Rousseau has a storyline. His version of the state of nature starts with completely free, sovereign individuals who are independent, right? The, uh, what has come to be called the noble savage, the fully self-sufficient individual who relies on no one else. And completely fictional, weird fiction, especially given how he starts off the social contract by talking about the only natural form of government is based on the family and the family is a natural entity. His discussion of the state of nature uh, in The Origin of Inequality doesn't have family at all. It basically has a bunch of uh, Robinson Crusoe's, uh, a bunch of indiv individual, self-sufficient, fully sovereign, free people running around in a, a state of nature where there is no cooperation, there is no productivity, there is no uh, advancement, technological advancement. Rousseau actually thinks that that is the primal Eden for human beings. This is, how, this, is, this is how we either appeared through evolution or we were created by some kind of uh, um, divinity. That's our natural state. But it's not a natural state that we exist in anymore, and not, not even for very long. What happens in the discourse on the origin of inequality is there's a gradual but almost inevitable evolution towards independence, excuse me, towards interdependence and dependence loss of self-sufficiency, and therefore loss of that primal individual sovereignty. So one of the things that Rousseau, when he sees us arriving at this point of the social contract moment, problematic, we've already evolved. There's an evolutionary nature to his conception of, of human beings. We've evolved from this primal state where we are the individual, excuse me, the individually sovereign being, which includes not just making rules for ourselves, but includes no dependency, no connections, and total self-sufficiency. What happens to human beings is that we become more uh, reliant on each other. We become more interdependent and more dependent, more slavish about tastes and opinions. Uh, we become needier. We develop all kinds of uh, 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 needs or wants that we didn't have in this primal state. And we can no longer satisfy them on our own because they require us to have productivity and property. Uh, there's this sort of, from his perspective, downward spiral. And what human beings become is not a great thing. But it's also a, it's also a done deal. The story is told. It's not as though this is a, he, he's telling what he thinks is kind of a, you know, a quasi-historical, even though it's a very abstract version, but it's a quasi-historical story. He views the state of nature as actually a real development of, of human beings uh, it, it, as, the, as, we trans, as we transition from one type of being to another. 
human nature actually kind of transforms as human beings go from the noble savage to uh, the dependent slavish uh, uh, individuals that Rousseau sees as having to face the social contract. So there's no going back there. It's a one-way storyline, and we started off amazing. Right, man, and, and he, he kind of picks this up and gestures towards it with the first line, man is born free and everywhere he's in chains. Born free eons ago, and now in chains essentially by creating society or by creating interdependence, by creating needs, uh, and uh, by losing that primal self-sufficiency uh, that would enable us to essentially live happily in the state of nature. For Rousseau, the, the early moments of the state of nature are actually great. They're not problematic. Um, the only reason why problems arise is because we become needy, we become interdependent, and conflict results from that. So, society has unwittingly evolved uh, as human beings have become more interdependent, more dependent, more slavish, less self-sufficient. So society is around, um, and there's not a solution anymore to maintain our individual sovereignty. Uh, that's not on the table anymore. So the, the, what Locke sees as the real problem is how do we stay as independently sovereign as possible? How do we turn over as little of our sovereignty to, to an association as necessary? Rousseau doesn't even think that's desirable. Um, that, the, the noble savage, the, 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 the wonderful individually sovereign being doesn't exist anymore. And this is another thing that makes him illiberal, is that Rousseau, does, he starts with individual sovereignty. He starts with separate individual. He starts with a stateless society or stateless situation. Um, but he doesn't then seek to preserve that and make that central. He sees that basically as not available to us rationally. In the state that human beings face this problem, the, uh, they don't have available to them an individualistic solution to their problems. What do they have? They have this collectivist solution to the problem. So that's why he sees it as turning over. And that is why it's a transformation. And at this point in human history, it's a beneficial transformation because what's gone on up to the point of the social contract has been a degradation of human nature. And now we're slavish, we're needy, we're not self-sufficient, we rely on each other in a bad way. Uh, it's like a, you know, di a dysfunctional codependent relationship is what society is. He's seeking to turn that into a healthy, positive relationship, but it entails turning yourself over to the community and acknowledging that the community, not the individuals, not the government, is the real solution, right? The government is part of the community in his version, and we'll get to that in, in, in a few minutes, but for Locke, the government is an association. It's essentially, it's a tool. Uh, that preserves people's rights. And that tool can be a dangerous tool, right? And so the, the, the new civil government is both a benefit and a, and a threat, as I've said numerous times. Um, to Rousseau, it's not a tool, it's a place to go. And it's an, it's an entirely different environment. Now, what does that environment look like? Uh, that environment, first of all, creates an absolutely illiberal feature to it. And this is, again, one of Rousseau, another one of Rousseau's most famous, uh, most famous phrases. I'll read the whole paragraph. To protect the social contract from, compact from being a mere empty formula, it silently includes the undertaking that anyone who refuses to obey the general will is to be compelled to do so by the whole body. This single item in the compact can give power to all the other items. It means nothing less than that each individual will be forced to be free. Forced to be free is absolutely the place where, while Rousseau is continuing to use the word liberty and freedom, 
and he talks about rights, uh, he has entered a different path. Uh, and who forces you to be free? Society forces you to be free. The exercise of the general will is what forces you to be free. I have to actually have to look at my notes over here to make sure I'm going in the right direction. Oh, yeah, good. Okay, moving in the right direction. Um, why is this not horrifying? Why does Rousseau not posit this and then say, and therefore we have to turn back from this horrifying social contract because we've gone from the task of preserving our persons and goods to suddenly a position where we turn over everything and we can be forced to be free. Why is that not horrifying for Rousseau? Well, the reason it's not horrifying is because the thing that individuals are at this moment is not worth preserving. It's actually worth transforming and transcending. And I think it's that transcendence. And the, and the Berlin uh, uh, essay on the uh, two meanings of liberty uh, it very much keys in on this aspect of Rousseau. But it's this form of transcendence that's promised by this full giving over of yourself to the whole community that Rousseau sees as the real rescue. I'll, I'm going to read a fairly long uh, section here. This is on page 9. Both of these are on page 9. This passage from the state of nature to the civil state produces a very rem remarkable change in man. The role that instinct used to play in his conduct is now taken over by a sense of justice, and his actions now have a moral aspect that they formerly lacked. The voice of duty has taken over from physical impulses, and a sense of what is right has taken over from appetite. And now, only now, the man who has until now considered only himself finds himself forced to act on different principles and to consult his reason before listening to his inclinations. In this civil state, he is deprived of many advantages that he got from nature, but he gets enormous benefits in return. So he is actually here making an argument, uh, very much like the Lockean argument, that it's a beneficial exchange. His faculties are so stimulated and developed, his ideas are extended, his feelings ennobled, and his whole soul uplifted. All this happens to such an extent that if the abuses of this new condition didn't often pull him down to something lower than he was in, state of nature, and he's, that's a criticism of certain forms of government which actually don't do this, he would be bound to bless continually the happy moment that took him for, from it forever, and out of a dull and limited animal made a thinking being a man. Um, so that bit about the abuses, he recognizes that governments don't necessarily always ennoble us, that uh, in fact sometimes taking us from the state of nature further degrades us, and part of the art of setting up the right kind of social compact and the right kind of government to administer it, the right kind of sovereign, is to be able to actually not go down that problematic path. So Rousseau is not a complete, completely naive optimist that the social contract is going to then just have this blessing and the clouds will part and the sun will shine and there will be rainbows and unicorns. He recognizes that it can happen, that it actually makes us worse off. But if, it, if, if it's done right, it ennobles us. Now, this transformation is the heart and soul of what makes Rousseau's philosophy compelling. It's also the heart and soul of what makes it illiberal. Because, again, he uses the word force. The man who has until now considered only himself finds himself forced to act on different principles. We were listening to only ourselves, right? Uh, considered only ourselves. And that was our primal freedom. Right? That, was, that was our individual sovereignty. The force to be free part is that that is so compelling to many people that you might have to be dragged from that state into what? Into a higher being. Right? Um, made out of a dull and limited animal, 
made a thinking being a man. Now, what is Rousseau's conception of what it means to be a human? And I'll, I'll, I'll insert the gender neutral term here instead of man. What it means is to actually be a higher rational self than the impulse following, interest seeking individual that Locke acknowledges that human beings are and wants to protect their right to do so. To Rousseau, that version of humanity is a dull and limited animal. And it's a, compelling, uh, it's a compelling characterization of that because what is fundamentally the individual as it's portrayed by uh, Locke? It is fundamentally a self-interest-seeking machine. Now, it's not fully that, and this is the part I think that Rousseau misses, and this is he downplays this. There are two sides to our rationality uh, from the in the classic formulation of it. Uh, though Locke doesn't put it in exactly this way, it's, it's implied. There's the instrumental rationality, which is basically just like, okay, I want certain things, how do I get there? And then there's the expressive or philosophical form of rationality, which is uh, the individual forming their conception of the good. To Rousseau, that doesn't exist. The, the, the individual is in, in the state of nature is uh, a um, person who is uh, governed by instinct and not justice, right? His actions now have a moral aspect that they formerly lacked. The voice of duty has taken over from physical impulses, and a sense of what is right has taken over from appetite. Notice all of the ways that Rousseau is contrasting the two states, and this is where I probably do have to let's see. I get some chalk here. Uh, we have uh, uh, instinct and versus duty. We have impulses. Appetite, appetite. Uh, here we have sense of right, um, faculties are stimulated and developed, his ideas are extended, his feelings ennobled, and his whole soul uplifted, ennobled, uplifted. This is the dull and limited animal. This is the human being in civil society. The, let's call it the higher human being. We can't get here if all we do is accept that this is what we are and try to mitigate the problems of being this kind of being. That's the Lockean uh, social contract. The Lockean social contract and Rousseau doesn't come straight at him, but he's coming at him uh, with this. The Lockean social contract is basically saying, if you, you want to follow your instinct, your impulses, your appetite, other people get in your way, there's going to be conflicts, and uh, the government is established by a rational version of this, right? It might be a dull and limited animal, but it still is a rational animal. It's a rational animal that seeks to fulfill its appetites and, its, and, and to follow its instincts. To Rousseau, not only is this stuff low and this stuff is high, um, what this kind of approach, uh, the instrumentally rational, sovereign individual the, of the Lockean state of nature, is actually a slave, right? Here, you are a slave to your impulses. The things that have been in, 
kind of contemporary terms, hardwired into us by evolution that uh, drive us towards what? Towards survival and reproduction of our genes, getting our genes into the next uh, generation. Rousseau doesn't have the evolutionary language to talk about, but, I, but if he did, I think that, that, that he would acknowledge that we have been programmed by nature to be impulsive, instinct-driven, appetite-driven. That's what nature gives us. Nature gives us these dull and limited animals. But we can transcend that. We have the capacity to, to create a community, to create civilization, to create a compact that moves us from a slave to our impulses to being master of ourselves. Um, and he accepts and, and is very frank about the, uh, the fact that it might take force, right? To force people to be free. This is where there's freedom. This is, where, this is how it makes sense that uh, we, we have uh, the force to be free. Because force to be free sounds like a complete contradiction. Absolutely. This is when we have true freedom. that we are made a thinking being. Okay, oh, that's right, thinking and rational. I'll read it again. Uh, in this civil state, he is deprived of many advantages that he got from nature, but he gets enormous benefits in return. His faculties are so stimulated and developed, his ideas are extended, his feelings are noble, and his whole soul uplifted. Um, where is the word rational? Uh, da -da. Oh, to consult his reason before his before listening to his inclinations. Okay, so and I'll uh, we're slave to inclinations. Now, in Lockean terms and in kind of classic liberal terms, uh, it, these inclinations are actually just our interests. And uh, instead of being slave to our inclinations, our our interests, they are what we are, and we pursue them. Um, and because Rousseau is ignoring the expressive rationality side of what helps. Uh, keep the uh, Lockean view of the individual from being an animal is that we actually point our inclinations in, in different directions. I don't think Rousseau ex acknowledges that that's possible. And, and his discussion of the degradation of, of the sort of noble savage into the slavish uh, uh, person is his way of indicating that we don't really have that capacity. The only way we actually can get that expressive or philosophical rationality, that higher rationality, is by making this transition from one type of being to another. Now, um, one of the things about this whole transition is that it, requ uh, it requires that there is this new creation that can govern, dictate, and do the uplifting. And that new creation is the general will. Uh, one of the uh, things about this is that so again, here's, here's more, of the, more of the quote from page 9. To protect the social compact from being a mere empty formula, it silently includes the undertaking that anyone who refuses to obey the general will is to be compelled to do so by the whole body. So this is where the force to be free comes in. The general will is the expression of our higher self. The general will is where this being gets created. And if the general will is at odds with the particular will, and this is the particular will, then 
the, those individuals who want to pursue their particular will will actually be forced to not pursue their particular will. You have to give up, you have to give up your particular will entirely in order to become a true human being, this higher uh, being. You cannot hold back. You can't say, well, I only want to give in a little because I want to preserve the rest. Well, what in Rousseau's terms, you're preserving a slave, uh, you're preserving a slave. You're, you're, you're preserving your slavery to your inclinations, to your impulses, to your appetites, to your, to your uh, instincts. You're preserving your slavery to the hard wiring that nature gave us. But we don't have to take that as a given. Rousseau, excuse me, Locke, uh, and most other liberals take as a given that our inclinations, our interests, are the things that we are interested in preserving. And that, that is a, that that's what all human beings share in common, this desire to rule ourselves. Not to become part of something higher, but to rule ourselves. Now, there, there are numerous uh, threads that get sent out into the future from this Rousseauian notion. And some of those threads uh, wind really tight and become fascism. Others become uh, uh, turn into communitarianism uh, where, with a little bit less tight winding of, of uh, the, this particular thread. And we'll get to all of those. What I want to do now is just talk about the fact that um, the general will is contrasted with the particular will. And there's, there are kind of two, two levels to this. There's two, there's two senses of this distinction. Um, at the individual level, our appetites or our impulses are our particular will. And our higher self, our higher rationality, is the general will. Um, from the societal point of view, the particular wills are what individuals want. And the general will is the common good. So the, that, that is... the most important concept in this transition. By creating a community, we create a common good. We create a common good. The common good reference to the society is the same as the particular will, excuse me, the general will as it relates to society is equivalent to the particular will of the individual. It's what society is oriented towards. It's what society wants. It's what is good for society. You have to give up what's good for you and you only in order to be able to participate in a uh, system where what you're doing is pulling towards the good of all. Now, this feature, clearly already, we're on a liberal path because what you're doing at some level or another, right, whether it's fully fascist or whether it's that the community is more important than the individual, which is what communitarianism is, and individuals sometimes have to sacrifice for the good of the community, though they still get to preserve some of their individuality, whichever version, whether it's super steroided or whether it's relatively light, uh, the, the fact is, is that the relationship between the individual and the society and society has been flipped from the classic liberal uh, um, relationship, which is that the individual wants to and deserves to and should always preserve as much uh, individual sovereignty as possible. And society is both a benefit to doing that and it's a threat. Um, Rousseau is saying society is not a threat. Society is the answer. It's the solution. In a way... And some people have commented on this, uh, remarked on this when, when doing commentary on Rousseau. And I can't remember if Berlin is one of these people or not. But in a way, society, the people, the common, becomes a substitute for God. You're surrendering yourself to something higher than yourself. Your conception of the good, under Rousseau's version of what rescues us from the problems of the state of nature, and what rescues us from being a dull, limited animal, is singular. 
Your conception of the good is to follow the general will, is to contribute to the common good. And what you get from that is huge. I mean, that's, or at least that's what Rousseau says it, uh, you get me. You get to be a moral, uh, a moral being now instead of a dull and limited animal. He's trying to portray this as being a kind of a, 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 a massively compelling trans transformation. It is a transcendence. And that transcendence of the self to become essentially part of a greater whole is one of the things that's very compelling to people about joining any kind of community, right? And to, not to say that Rousseau is recommending cults, but that's actually one of the, one of the sort of driving mechanisms that, that makes cults uh, happen and that holds them together is this dissatisfaction with the self and the turning over of the self to some kind of higher purpose, usually some kind of charismatic con person, usually a con man, uh, I can't think of a single cult that's been headed by a charismatic woman, but I'm sure there have been. Um, it's, more of a, it's more of a white dude thing, really, is to be like, turn yourself over completely to me because I'm the surrogate for God and I know what the right thing is. Rousseau is not necessarily uh, you know, saying cults are the right way to go, but it's that same kind of transcendence. The general will, expression of our higher self, it's a transcendence of the limited self. We become something we weren't before. And we were on a downward path from the beginning of history. We can no longer recover that noble savage, that primal sovereign individual who is self-sufficient and totally independent and doesn't rely on other people and, and doesn't need to cooperate or collaborate or do any kind of thing. We're at a point where we can't help but collaborate and cooperate because we're so dependent on all these new needs we've created for ourselves and we can't produce all that stuff on our own. So we may as well acknowledge that we've, we've become interdependent and actually then take the opportunity that that interdependence provides for us to transcend that narrow, limited, dull animal and become something bigger and higher. Functionally, it's hugely problematic to have a theory that centers around the common good. One, there's a big difference between an individual who is an an actual biological organism with a defined body and a defined set of instincts, impulses, and appetites that connect to that one person. And when I eat, I know it's me eating, right? Uh, it's an organism that's being fed. When I have a desire to go for a walk because I want to stretch my legs and feel the oxygen in my lungs, I'm the one, when I go do that, I'm the one that gets that. Uh, the community is not an organic being. It's a construction. And it doesn't, however much people might think of it, it doesn't have that same corporal reality to it. There is no thing we can point to and say, there is society. Because it's here is society. It's held together by attitudes, ideas, commonalities, a language, all kinds of stuff, but it doesn't have that same physical reality, so it's problematic. My particular will is easy to point to, and Rousseau acknowledges this. My particular will is that which gets me further towards my inclinations. It fulfills my inclinations. What's the common good? Given that there's no actual physical organism that society is, it is a real hard question to answer, what is good for everybody, right? Not just what's good for some people, not just what's good for the majority even, because Rousseau is not talking about a majoritarian view, he's talking about a common good. There's a common good. So <clears throat> because the particular will attaches to an actual particular embodied being, 
and the general will attaches to an abstract constructed thing, we can't just say that there's an easy analogy for when stepping from the particular will to the general will. Finding the common good is highly problematic. Does it even exist? Is it possible to take a heterogeneous set of people and bring them together and say that that group of people has a common good? Right? Well, you might say, well, the, you know, we can start pointing at to specific pieces of, of the common good. The common good includes everybody's survival. But that's not necessarily the case, because one of the things that might have to happen is uh, the people might have to defend itself, and that's, it's likely to happen, right? Historically, this is just really, this, is, this isn't even a hypothetical, this is a reality. The people is going to have to protect itself from other uh, groups of people, from, from anything, from, from, from hostile animals, from, from hostile weather. And what that might mean, what the common good might mean is to protect most of the people, to protect the whole some individuals might have to be sacrificed. Right? And imagine being told that, okay, I'm going to force you to be free, and forcing you to be free means that I'm going to send you off to fight our enemies, and you're going to die to preserve other people. But, you've been, but that's you being free. You might think, well, that does not sound like any kind of freedom that I would recognize at all, because I don't even get any benefit out of it. Uh, and that is one of the problems with the common good. It won't always require sacrifice, but it will, at least a, a little bit of the time, require sacrifice. The common good transcends individual goods. It's not merely the collection of particular wills. And Rousseau does say this uh, uh, in here. I don't have the quote, but he does say this. And if it were just the sum of the particular wills, it would be tricky to find it, but at least we would know that like, it's arithmetic. This is a different thing. The general will is a different thing than the sum of the particular wills. And so does it even exist? And if it exists, how do we find it? Functionally, how do we avoid the danger of some individual or group of people essentially hijacking the concept of the common good, uh, pre uh, pretending that they know what the general will is, and then forcing other people to serve that general will, when what they've really done is really just re-enslaved with now, with even more force, uh, most of the population, and are telling them that, yeah, you're, you're, we're forcing you to do stuff, but we're forcing you to be free. Uh, and that's just propaganda covering over the real thing which is happening, which is we are basically just winning and we are, we are making you serve us under the guise of serving all. That is a very real risk. Uh, the authoritarian drift that is potential inside of this is one of the things that's usually uh, pointed as a criticism of this kind of thinking, this kind of collectivist thinking. Uh, now, if you have a collectivist theory that relies on the collective being an organic entity, an organic whole, the family, the community, the nation is a thing that organically grows, and individuals are really just like cells in your body, right? Your cells don't have an individual good, they're just part of a whole system and they can't survive on their own. If you conceive of society as an organic whole, then uh, you can possibly say, well, okay, there's a common good that exists, and it's not going to, and it's, there's still going to be the risk, of course, of people hijacking the common good. But at least it exists. Rousseau is indicating and acknowledging that we're creating this community, and therefore it's a, a, a human act of choice and of will. It's not an organic thing. Now, I think he believes that, that we can create this organic thing and that we can, we can uh, create this thing that has a common good and that exists uh, and that we can actually find it. But that's the, real, that's the real problem is that 
out of a bunch of parts, he's going to make a whole that is a greater whole. The whole is then greater than the sum of its parts. As a body, I am greater than the sum of, the, uh, of my parts. If you take each of the individual parts of any of our bodies, they, 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 we, we have more than any of those things have in their traits. Um, and you know, one of them, of course, is that none of, none of our cells have consciousness, or at least that's the dominant model, right? There are some people who think that every atom in the universe has consciousness, and that's, we're just a manifestation of that coming together. And sometimes I, I find that compelling. But the, the general scientific model of us as a machine is that we're essentially a biochemical machine that then also has properties that the parts of the machine, that the atoms and molecules don't, and the chemicals don't have until we come together collectively. But that's organic. That has developed organically. Rousseau is talking about creating a community out of a bunch of separate parts, uh, and then therefore it has this collective uh, good to it, this, this common good. So because he starts from the liberal pathway, it's more problematic for him to, to support a collectivist uh, uh, perspective. Uh, whereas if you start from a collectivist uh, uh, a set of assumptions, society is organic, society is already a, is already a whole unto itself, uh, and individuals aren't really individuals, they're just people that are parts of that whole, and that nobody is a sovereign individual to start with, so uh, we don't have to treat individual sovereignty as some kind of problematic that we have to address. Liberals see the world fundamentally as a collection of sovereign individuals, and then that collection of sovereign individuals creates problems that get solved. Rousseau sees the world as a collection of sovereign individuals that have become degraded and that we have to transcend the problems uh, of our degraded state by creating this collectivist whole. Uh, he, he starts from the same place that liberals have started, as I said, but he ends in a different place. He ends with a collectivist uh, 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 conclusion, but doesn't start from a collectivist uh, uh, starting point. Now, that might seem even more compelling. Like, okay, instead of starting with the notion that society is this organic whole, which has its own problems, and we'll talk about this when we get to it uh, in, in next week, um, but uh, we won't talk about it, I'll talk about it to you, but uh, it's the idea that we're gonna assemble some kind of general thing, some kind of collective, some kind of community, he usually uses the words community, some kind of civil society that has its own organic, now organic nature, is definitely problematic. Uh, how is Rousseau a critic of liberalism? I think that the way Rousseau is primarily a critic of liberalism is that liberalism's primary effort to preserve as much space for the individual as possible, um, to make sure that individual sovereignty is the, a large portion of what we get to have as our existence in society, in the economic system, in the political system. Rousseau doesn't see our individual sovereignty is worth preserving. He sees it as actually a form of slavery to our inclinations. Uh, and it's that difference that makes him look at the idea of the social contract with a different eye and makes him not want to keep what's good about the state of nature and give away as little as possible to keep that. He wants to, he looks at the state of nature and says, it's not horrifying, not a war of all against all, like, like Hobbes says, but really a place where we're dull and limited animals. It's a bunch of dull and limited animals uh, who are just trying, who are going around being slaves of impulses. That's what lions are. That's what horses are. That's what cats and dogs are. They're just dull, limited animals, and that's not worth preserving by coming up with some form of association where we turn over as little as possible to get the biggest 
return possible. Um, there's, a, there's a bigger thing that's available to us in Rousseau's view. It's very compelling, and the French revolutionaries found the notion of the general will to be very compelling. Um, it is an idea that does speak to one of our deepest longings, which is to transcend the limited self. Uh, and this transcendence of the self, which Berlin indicates the dangers of it in his essay from early in, in the term, is something that we will be addressing again when we look at uh, other collectivist uh, viewpoints and, and specifically collectivist uh, critics of liberalism. All right, well, that's it. Uh, that's a pretty quick tap dance on Rousseau. Um, there's, it maybe doesn't feel like a tap dance to you or even that quick, but it kind of relatively is. Again, I would recommend The Discourse on the Origin of Inequality if you're interested in Rousseau and want to see what his sort of uh, cinematic description of the descent of human uh, beings, right, uh, into these slavish, uh, uh, dependent, beings that are basically not just slave to their impulses, but not even that noble, really, not even that great, uh, not worthwhile. So that's a recommendation for your weekend reading, and I'm sure that uh, the internet is going to be assaulted right now with, with uh, searches for the discourse on the origin of inequality. So, so that you can get to that, I'll end the lecture today. All right, bye.